Hello, welcome to Weird Flicks But Okay. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Eric. And today we're going to talk about Quentin Tarantino's ninth feature film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So this film follows actor John Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who in his middle age fears that the best years of his career are now behind him. His longtime friend and stuntman, Brad Pitt's Cliff Booth, has been with him through thick and thin and stays at his side throughout this crisis, which coincides with the involving events of the Manson family's rise to fame at the time. And that time is the 1960s. Yeah, 69, I think. Yeah, 69 specifically, and it takes place in L.A. slash Hollywood. In the hills. Yes, the Hollywood hills. Uh, So this is kind of Quentin Tarantino's love letter to old Hollywood, I would say. Absolutely. What did you think? I love this movie. Um, I think I briefly said in our previous episode that Tarantino is so much a thing that I feel like he's almost become like a self-parody. Like he sticks so much to his tropes that it's almost uh, a joke or it's almost like an oversaturation of how Tarantino-y Tarantino can be. But I feel like there's enough time between all his movies where it's just enough that I don't get tired of it and I'm always excited when another Tarantino movie comes around. So the last movie that he did, uh, Hateful Eight, it felt very Tarantino-y, but I had a ton of fun with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that feels long enough ago that this movie coming out, I was like, okay, I'm ready again uh, for this kind of thing. And it didn't in any way not feel like that. It felt 100% like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Um, I really liked that, though. Uh, I really loved it. I think that the performances were awesome. I do feel like because of how Tarantino-y he is, mm-hmm. he's never really reinventing his own wheel. Yeah. So I feel like we're getting... Even though the the setting can be different, I feel like it still is almost just the same thing. He tells stories in a very like non-linear way. He likes to break things up into like chapters. Um, And there are like weird sort of out of place, like narration from someone that you wonder maybe, why is this suddenly being narrated as if it's a a documentary or something? Yeah, I think you hit on so far a lot of the things that he really puts in most of his movies, like a lot of the tropes that he uses. And it's weird because at first when I saw this, I left feeling like it wasn't very Tarantino. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't know why. I think it's because it didn't have a lot of the uh, lengthy, quick, but like quick-witted dialogue between characters. Yeah, there wasn't as much of that. Yeah, because usually I feel like in almost all his movies... It's almost like oversaturated with dialogue. Yeah, it almost feels like a like a play where yeah. you're just watching two people sitting at a table talking yeah, exactly. for a very long time. And yeah, there was less of that in this movie. And to me, that was actually really refreshing. That was maybe the least Tarantino-y thing about this movie. Mm-hmm. And it was um, it prevented it from feeling fatiguing, I think, when it could have. Um, and it made a very long movie, I think, actually feel less long. Yeah, I um, think it 
made it kind of refreshing in terms of his films because we still did get a lot of Tarantino-esque things that he, like you were saying, um, like the nonlinear approach. Yeah. That was big here. and A lot of feet. Oh, yeah, the feet. <laughs> I almost think it was, I think he was like parodying his own foot fetish. It started to feel like it, yeah. <laughs> if you don't know, Tarantino is sort of famous for liking feet. Yeah, he loves to film uncovered feet a lot. <laughs> Women's feet. Mm-hmm. And um, this movie is no exception. No. Uh, it's One could argue that that is maybe its most pornographic aspect. Yeah. Is <laughs> how gratuitously often he is showing bare feet. So that's definitely one of the things you see a lot. Um, that is a, a Tarantino trope. The Yeah, the random narration. Uh, I think it was Kurt Russell this time yeah. around. Which I love Kurt Russell. I think it works when he does that. Um, it reminded me, obviously, of like um, in Glorious Bastards, randomly Samuel L. Jackson does like two or three bits of of that. And I'm not sure what purpose there is behind it. I think this falls into the, the problem that Tarantino often faces, which is he's accused not just of adopting things that he loves from old movies, but like actually just exactly stealing stylistic tropes from other movies mm-hmm. and then there and then his movies are accused of style over substance and i think that honestly i think that's a legitimate criticism i don't necessarily think that there's a justifiable rebuttal that would make that not be true um other than the fact that who cares <laughs> yeah well that's it i mean i think the response is just like okay Sure. So what about that? Yeah, I mean, like, did you like the movie? Because I, I still did. I still yeah. I still really like this. And Inglorious Bastards, to reference it, is my favorite Tarantino movie. So I think, you know, it's it's one of those things where if that is a problem to you and you feel like overt stylistic choices detract from substantive choices, then sure, this is a concern. But for me, I think that the nature of filmmaking is to do things that you couldn't do with other mediums. And I think that the style that is inherent in anything you're doing, like, you know, there's things you can do with a book that wouldn't work in a movie. There's things you can do in a movie that wouldn't work elsewhere. And I think that in, in Tarantino's case, I think he's really just exploiting the super unique nature of storytelling that is filmmaking while also being like a meta statement on the love of film history in general. He's clearly a a huge student of film. Right. Which this movie, it's more obvious than in any other because it's literally about Hollywood. Hollywood. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it shows like his obsession with Hollywood in one of its sort of golden eras. Right. Where, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio's character was on like a Western TV show in the 60s. And that's where everyone knows his face. But now in this movie, he's basically being asked to transition into a spaghetti Western actor. And he flips out because he thinks that that basically is killing his career. It would be it would signify the end of his career. And it's funny because like to me. I think the spaghetti Westerns are like the best versions of Westerns, like the 
Sergio Leone movies are just like the pinnacle. Um, you know, Clint Eastwood and Lee Van Cleef and yeah. Eli Wallach and stuff, like just so awesome. And in this movie, it's like you see him react so negatively to potentially being typecast as like a spaghetti Western actor. But then he goes and does it and he sort of like comes to terms with his quote unquote mortality, but really his career. And I think that that's clearly like that's Tarantino, I think, just sort of showing how much he knows about history of cinema and the the turns that it takes and stuff and, and that it took for these actors. But I really like the journey of uh, his character. I did, too. I thought that that was one of the strong points of this movie is following this character, John Dalton, in his kind of mid-career crisis. Yeah. What he thinks is like a career-ending crisis and his relationship with his stuntman, played by Brad Pitt. Yeah. That's definitely like where the heart of this movie is. Yeah. Everything else is extra, is uh, style over substance, yeah, I think. Yeah, I'd say so. That core bromance there is... There's such wholesomeness to it, I think. And I was really worried, too, that because it was Tarantino and all this stuff, I wasn't going to end up liking these characters. Like, they'd end up being unpleasant in some way. Or, yeah. like, have, you know, I thought maybe Leonardo DiCaprio's character would be so just gross and, <laughs> and annoying and, and petty that I wouldn't like him. You know, and, and they hint at Brad Pitt maybe having this dark past, which I think is an homage to a real person in Hollywood. Um, I haven't done the research, but everyone thought there was a guy who killed his wife. And yeah. It was like a thing. Um, and yet somehow everyone's kind of dismissive of it. Yeah. At the same time. <laughs> it gets like mentioned. It's like the elephant in the room. Yeah. But at the same time, nobody's. It's definitely not upsetting anyone enough. Right. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, for If it, he really did do that. And it, do, it even shows like a shot of where it might have happened and you don't see what happened. It's still ambiguous, but it puts the seed of doubt of like what really happened there. But he's such a lovable character, I think, like despite that. And I, I don't dislike Leonardo DiCaprio's character either. I think. Like, no, I think he's very likable. Yeah. They're both actually just like, like generally likable people. Yeah. And their, their friendship is actually very charming. Yeah, it was just, it, that was a very wholesome aspect. So wholesome and endearing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're not without their problems, right. um, but they're not so much that you uh, dislike the character for them. Like, I don't know, they, John Dalton has clearly has a drinking yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah, he has a drinking <laughs> problem, yeah. Which, is that, do we think that's as a result of his sort of, acting crisis or do we think that the crisis has anything to do with the drinking it's interesting i i almost feel like they're unrelated yeah other than the fact that people like that often have very severe vices right it seems like his character had a drinking problem for a very long time and this was not the beginning of it right um i think it would feel odd and out of place to see these prominent figures in hollywood with no with no substance problems. Yeah, with no type of <laughs> or usage or yeah. anything. But yeah, it's like his alcoholism seemed just sort of ancillary to his issues yeah. he was having. And Cliff, I feel like, has the problem of like kind of being a pariah in Hollywood, like mm -hmm. bit of an outcast because of his this like story about he and his wife. But 
and I guess he's kind of a punk. Like, you know, he there's a scene where he and, and uh, Bruce Lee fight, which I think was oh, yeah. actually that, again, I think is famously based on a real thing that happened. But he's basically saying that, you know, Bruce Lee's whole thing is all talk and, and you know, Muhammad Ali would wipe the floor with him in a real fight and stuff. And, yeah. And then they end up fighting and and they end up getting really mad at Brad Pitt because he throws around the star of the show, The Green Hornet. What but, did you think of that scene, by the way? Like, do you think it made Bruce Lee look bad? Well, it certainly did make him look bad. Um, and then I guess the question is, is that offensive? Um, right. I think a lot of people will be upset. Bruce Lee is like a very important part of like Chinese culture. He's yeah. like a legend to them. And I, you know, I don't know what he really did or not. I wasn't there, right. obviously. So this certainly like brings him down a peg for people yeah. who think that Bruce Lee is like this untouchable you know, God of like, martial arts. Yeah, exactly. I think that he, I don't know, he had like a reputation for being kind of the way we saw him on screen. Um, but I also don't think that he like looked that bad, I guess. I thought it made him look like it, um, it did seem like a little bit of a parody based on real life characteristics he had, but in the end, I don't think he looked like a total like goon, I guess. No, I don't think he did either. I think he was, he may have been talking a bigger game than he was able to bring. Yeah. But people do that. I don't think he yeah. seemed like an absolute <laughs> loser. Like yeah. he, it's not like he and, and Brad Pitt didn't actually like fight. Like he didn't just go down in a second. Like they were going to fight basically. And then, right. it, and then it didn't happen. But yeah, it's just a, it's just one of those things where, I feel like you have to be in the room to like know the true story because yeah, there's so sure. there's so much speculation about like was Bruce Lee the the man that everyone thought he was and you know that he is so ingrained in like uh, at a point of pride to like huge groups of people um, and I I wouldn't want to say anything to like offend anyone because obviously I don't know right like, I didn't know the guy. Um, but, you know, it's an interesting take on him. And it's not the first time I've heard that Bruce Lee maybe, yeah. you know, spoke higher of himself than than uh, he deserved to. Yeah, I think if anything, it was a, just another way to inject an old Hollywood kind of trope, which is the actor with the inflated ego, kind of. Yeah. So it's kind of another way to look at that aspect of Hollywood. And I think he tries to portray a lot of things like that, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I think the whole point of this movie is just this like full immersion into old Hollywood. And one of the things that we see kind of on this journey, which it does feel like you're just sort of hanging out in old Hollywood. That's another thing I guess worth mentioning about this movie is the pace is, um, it is slow. It is. It's casual. It's very casual. Yeah. Um, but along the way we see, all of these things that made up that world. Um, like maybe the actor with the reputation for an inflated ego, uh, the actor with the substance abuse problem, yeah. the washed up actor. We see all these things along the way. The aspiring actress. Yes, Tate, exactly. Yeah. Which kind of brings me to another super important part about this film. So we're following John Dalton and his stuntman. That's sort of, where the heart of this movie is at. But then we congruently, we have 
Sharon Tate. And we're basically just watching her live her life in small parts. Um, And if you don't have knowledge of one of the most famous murders in Hollywood history. In American history. um, Yeah, that's true. In American history, then you might question why we're seeing her at all. Yeah. Yeah. So those murders would be the, they're known as the Tate murders. And that was. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to go into full spoiler territory here. Um, and talk about another thing that Tarantino has now done more than once uh, in the process. But mm-hmm. so what happened was, uh, as most of you probably heard of um, Charles Manson and the Manson family was a cult that hung around in the Hollywood area. And they were a bunch of transients and quote unquote hippies who uh, took a lot of psychedelic drugs and ended up um, Manson ended up basically brainwashing and controlling uh, these young girls to go and murder um, Sharon Tate in her home. I think as some representation of the elitist, uh, you know, grossness of, of upper class yeah, American society. Right. So in the, in, that's, this is history we're talking about right now. Yeah. This is what actually happened. Yeah. Sharon Tate was, she was pregnant and, she was murdered. She was pregnant. She was murdered. It was a very grisly murder. Uh, her blood was used to write things like pig on the walls and stuff like that. It's very dark, very intentionally satanic looking. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the thing that led Charles Manson to be imprisoned for the rest of his life. Right. He's and the murder was committed by the one guy, Tex, they refer to him as. Yeah. Um, and then two women. Yes. The third woman was represented by uh, Maya Hawk in this movie, mm-hmm. and she kind of ran away. Yeah, she abandoned them before yeah. they committed the murder. In real life, I don't. Th- I think she was there, but she didn't partake. She was trying to get it to stop or something. Mm-hmm. I'm not like she wasn't fully brainwashed. Yeah, uh, she knew it was wrong. <laughs> yeah, and these but. women did go to jail for a long time, mm-hmm. but they were actually released before Manson um, because it was proven how psychologically manipulated they were and Mm -hmm. they basically became different people in the course of being away from him in jail. Right. Which I think that's like a whole other discussion that we can get like, that's a a whole thing about, (laughs) there's so much that, yeah. Um, yeah. Criminal justice system and psychology and all that stuff. That's a whole other conversation, but the point bringing this up, yes, obviously is that Tarantino has pulled another inglorious bastards and he changed the outcome of the Tate murders. He rewrote history. He rewrote history again. And this time around, it was that these people that in real life murdered Sharon Tate went to our protagonist's house, which is neighbor to Sharon Tate's mm-hmm. in this movie, uh, Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski. That was yes. their home. And um, went to... Uh, our protagonist's house instead and attempted to murder them, but they basically realized that they'd walked into a bad situation because Brad Pitt is a penultimate badass. And and also on an acid trip. And he's <laughs> on his first acid trip ever. Yeah. yeah. And he's uh, has his incredibly ferocious dog with him. Um, so it was... 
a really bad time for everyone involved. And also this is, this is really interesting. And I, and I want to talk about this. This is not the first time I think a Tarantino movie has ended in a bloodbath that also actually feels weirdly wholesome. Um, yeah. Yeah, it does too. Yeah. So much violence. And yet you feel you're like, Oh, all the right things are happening. Yeah. Like, somehow. It's, so, it's so good and cathartic to see these, monstrous people who did this terrible thing you know they get their fantastical retribution uh come to them that we want in real life but we can't have the same way in inglorious bastards we see hitler get his comeuppance yeah um and the the you know the plot to kill him works and right. and, and the han landa gets a swastika carved in his for you know like yeah everything that it's kind of cathartic. It's like, super cathartic. Everything's wish fulfillment. Yeah. Everything's like, it's just the way that if you could have ended it, you would have. And right. that's a, obviously that is not something a lot of filmmakers do, but it's now something Tarantino's done in two of his nine films. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest, I did not see that coming at all. Yeah. That's, <laughs> so, I think everyone is sort of sitting in, sitting in the theater waiting for that moment oh yeah i mean and the way the movie builds it up it's like it's coming you know it's about to happen no but what you didn't know was that what was about to happen is not what you were thinking um i really enjoyed that i think that was like a great part of this movie um it felt you know and i'll i'll admit that i think it was a uh, stylistic over substantive extremely but <laughs> in that regard like I enjoyed so much the the way that it ended. It was so like fulfilling and cathartic and I literally left the movie like smiling. I was like, yeah. oh man, all the bad people died and all the good people still good. And, and, and Sharon Tate's fine. <laughs> Sharon Tate's fine. And they're like with literally her baby. going to get dinner with her, yeah. like have <laughs> drinks because they just like had this crazy thing happen. And it's just so wholesome and nice and I don't know. And it, and it is, you know, these are, these people in Hollywood are larger than life and they're, and they're so, their lives are so weird and extraordinary. And I think that they seem so detached from humanity, but I think this, this movie tries to make them seem a bit more human. Um, like Sharon Tate yeah. doesn't feel like this unattainable thing. Sharon Tate right. feels like she's just any of us. Like Right. And I think that is really that really is driven home when she goes to see her own film yeah people barely recognize so her charming. but she's still she loves it yeah when they react to her she's like it's the best time in the world for her it's so charming all of the scenes with her she's just the most pleasant like you she's can't so hate good. her and margot robbie is obviously oh my god she's so good aside from being one of the most beautiful people <laughs> yeah. on the planet she's, she's a really so great good. actress yeah, yeah she's really good at what she does um, so she, she makes Sharon Tate just that more lovable, I think. Yeah. But yeah, that, that ending, man. It's <laughs> I so tr funny. Like, I try to think about what if he ended it, how it actually ended, yeah. how that would change the entire tone of the film. It would be so different. It would it be would so be. different. Like, I feel like it would have changed the meaning of everything that came before. It I almost. think so too. Um, Especially, and it would have changed the aesthetic even because this, I mean, it starts with once upon a time. So we're in this 
old Hollywood fairy tale. Yeah, it's a fairy tale, basically. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it has to have that fairy tale ending. Yeah, and it does. And you see some, you know, a would-be murderer getting hit with a flamethrower in a pool. It's like... So ridiculous. It's so ridiculous, <laughs> but it's so good. It I, is. It's, it's just so good. It is. I will say, like, there are a couple moments during that whole scene where I was like, this is almost too goofy, but I know that he's doing it on purpose. Yeah, it's totally So I can almost just wave it off. Yeah. But other than that, I really liked that ending. And yeah, I went to see it with somebody who actually had no knowledge of the tape murders at all. That's already, I think, pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. But secondly, that must have been quite an experience, like... It to, was. To not, because you didn't know, right? Like beforehand. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, about halfway through the film, I got a, I had a feeling. Yeah. So I leaned over and I was like, <laughs> it was a scene with Sharon Tate. And I leaned over. I said, you know, she was a real person, right? He goes, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh, dang. He yeah. doesn't know what's supposed you know to happen. Yeah. So I didn't say anything, of course. And just, I wanted to see kind of his reaction from that point of view, because that's super interesting. Yeah. Also. And to be fair, he's not the only one. Like, there were plenty of people that did go see this and had no knowledge of that. That's crazy. That's crazy. Right. But also, um, I think something that's really interesting is, um, I shouldn't say but also, like, this is more to this point. Because it's actually changing the subject. <laughs> but um, one thing I did want to mention was the way he plays with the tone of the movie in a way that is often misleading. So like, I feel like one of the first clues that maybe things wouldn't be so bad was when um, Brad Pitt's character goes to the the Manson family ranch, like where they're living. Yes. And um, he goes into this guy's house and it's someone that he used to work with. Yeah. Um, but the scene is so dragged out it's so it's tense. so tense and it feels like he's gonna get murdered like the whole like time. he's gonna get murdered or something something crazy gonna is happen. gonna happen like, yeah really bad and then in the end it's just like he literally finds the guy he was looking for and that guy is <laughs> like pretty okay as far as things go in hollywood and then they just have a conversation and then he leaves and everything's fine i mean he does you know yeah. he gets a knife in his tire and he and he beats that guy up yeah but, but even the then he beats the guy up yeah, you know like wins. he gets them he yeah. wins this one and drives away and yeah lives his happy little yeah and, life. Fine. and i love to like there's also another moment of tension where you know leonardo dicaprio basically comes clean with brad pitt about like my career is about to change mm -hmm. i'm kind of calling it quits on like what i've been doing and in that regard, I'm not really going to be able to have you on as someone that I pay for your services anymore. And Brad Pitt, you expect him to maybe get upset or anything, but he just has a very accepting, like, okay, like, I'll find out what I do next now. Yeah, like, he has, which is a very realistic, on his part, a very realistic reaction to, you can't think that this you know, your own fairy tale is going to last forever. Right. Like there's no way they could sustain that. Yeah. He just accepts that things are yeah. changing and, and they're, he acknowledges that. I think they both acknowledge how much they are codependent on one another because Brad Pitt relies on Leonardo DiCaprio's income and Leonardo DiCaprio relies on Brad Pitt's 
just skills and, and his companionship. loyalty yeah, and his yeah. companionship. But like there, that doesn't detract at all, I think, from like how wholesome it is. Like they're just very self-aware, I think, of like what yeah. their friendship is. Which is so refreshing. So I love refreshing. seeing a relationship portrayed on screen where we don't have to do a conflict resolution yeah, type. Exactly. I love that. It feels so mature that he's like, hey, listen, I'm not going to be able to pay you anymore the way I always have. And Brad Pitt's like, all right. I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. Like, that's basically... They go have some beers and watch yeah. TV. And that's before all the things go down right. at the end. And they have this really wholesome moment when Brad Pitt's getting, like, carried away because he was wounded in the fight. And, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is just like, oh, well, thank God you're okay. And, like, they just have this moment of, like... We're buddies. Like, yeah. It's just so, it's so wholesome. It is. It's so wholesome. Um, and I think it made the movie so charming when it could have been really dark. I feel like yeah. he could have so easily had this been like a really dark movie. And instead he made it like one of the like feel good movies of the year. I <laughs> like, know. In a weird way. <laughs> even though it's like centralized around a murder. Um, yeah. Or murder attempt. And also like you, you feel with Leonardo DiCaprio I think like you know there's there's this sort of pivotal scene where he sort of saves his career mm-hmm. he's in this old western and it's like he thinks it's like a bit part like you know he's not the hero he's he's the villain and then he we're with him for the entire scene that he's in and and prior to that scene you know he was getting he felt really weird about the costume they were giving him. He felt like he was being like hidden by his costume. He wouldn't be given like star power by being in this movie. And then he does the scene and we're with him the whole time and he kills it. Like it's such a good performance. And then they cut and everyone is like, that was amazing. You did (laughs) such a good job. And then he's like crying because he's so... Right, after that little girl. Yeah, the girl told him that the girl that he just met on on the set, who was also in the scene, she was like, that was the best acting I've ever seen. And And he just loses it. He's he's so (laughs) touched and it's such a profound moment for him. And, you know, that he still has that spark he remember i think it's him remembering like why he got into acting like that moment and it's so pure and so nice and yeah i think it follows suit with the whole film where it doesn't have kind of like i was saying the typical conflict resolution format even him within his own story he does have a little conflict. I mean, he's conflicted and he feels worried about where his career's going. But in the end, it's still all fine. Yeah. He doesn't go down like this really dark path, and you know, he's his career ends up being just fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. fine. Yeah. His career's fine. His friendship, and like I think the movie is kind of like that too, which might make it harder for some people to watch because you're just sort of living in this dreamlike old Hollywood landscape and kind of just going along with the characters and like seeing what's going on in their life. Yeah. You don't have a clear, I don't know, cut and dry problem. And then here's the solution. Yeah. It's a very non-traditional storytelling device where like 
usually, you know, it's like the three acts or whatever. And then like, yeah. there's the conflict that rises and then there's resolution at the end. But I feel like this movie there, like you said, there are conflicts yeah. and there are like problems that people face, but it's, it's so often like still just okay the whole time. Yeah. And it's, it is more like you're just living with these people. Right. Um, and it's not the first movie to have done that, mm-hmm. but it is, I think, a great example of it. And I think it's a, an example also of like, like naturalistic storytelling, um, storytelling that feels like you're just sort of with someone in their life instead of you're seeing the important plot points played out in a very concise, linear way. Exactly. It's a very particular storytelling choice. Yeah. Um, and it is a trope. It's definitely not the first time it's been done. Nope. I just think it's been done really well here. Um, yeah, just, just great. Yeah, I so agree. much fun. Like, I know, and it's funny to call a movie fun when you know kind of what it's centered around, which is the Tate murders. Um, also, I did want to say when I first heard that Tarantino was doing this film, uh, it came out as, oh, Tarantino's doing a film about the Manson murders. Mm, yeah, and that I was thought, the big, the big yeah, yeah, and I thought, what? <laughs> yeah. He's doing what? And this just wasn't the movie I expected at all. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to be the movie a lot of people expect if you don't know a lot going into it. Yeah, I agree. Which could be good or it could be bad, depending. Honestly, the, the same thing happened for me with Inglorious Bastards. Really? I was expecting a Dirty Dozen-style movie about the Bastards fighting in Europe Mm -hmm. and what we got was a movie about movies and the cinema and like two thirds of it was about them planning this plot like basically just people talking about planning this plot and you see like maybe a combined five minutes of the bastards like in a battle zone of any kind yeah Um, Tarantino definitely likes to be kind of meta yeah with the whole film thing and it's not it's not always in a subtle way either. No. And and I, I will say that, like, I would have loved that movie that mm-hmm. I thought I was getting. But the fact that it wasn't that and it's still my favorite Tarantino movie says a lot, mm-hmm. I think, about just, like, how he can subvert expectations in such a satisfying way. Yeah. And when you've made a name for yourself such as he has, expectations are always there. Oh, yeah. From I everyone. Mean, yeah. I, th- I feel like he's maybe just the most famous outdoor director. Like, yeah, he he's a name literally everyone knows. The number of people who have, like, a Pulp Fiction poster or a Reservoir Dogs poster in their dorm room is, like, maybe second only to Fight Club. Yeah. And David Fincher does not have the reputation. That not Tarantino at all. Has. I think he's almost too famous an outdoor director where now yeah. people criticize it or you know call certain things pretentious or exactly very straight out of film school kind of thing yeah but um and i can see that sure but he wrote his own book you know on like how to how to make movies and he's stuck by it yeah he has his own style and it works and whether or not his style is like literally stealing like 15 different older directors styles right You know, if that's his thing, whatever. If you want to take credit away from him because he's essentially being derivative, that's fine. Um, I feel like he makes something that is just salt by being 
all those things. Like, you know, the, the sum is, is greater than its parts. Right. I think. Um, and he does something I think really special where he takes the things that are like great iconic moments from movies that maybe aren't entertaining all the way through. He steals that chunk of magic that like 10% chunk of magic. And then he puts it into his movie a, a next to a billion other 10%. Yeah. His magics. creations are basically a sum of everything that he loves, yeah. which I don't mind if I he does mind that. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it became more obvious too, maybe over time. Like, I feel like, I don't know. Uh, Reservoir Dogs feels pretty much just kind of like maybe a Scorsese movie. Yeah. But then, like, once you get to Kill Bill, it's like, okay, it's all there. Like, it's literally, like, he has the samurai movie thing. He has the kung fu movie thing. He has the western thing. It's like everything he loves is put into this one experience. It's like, wow, he's really showing everything um, it really does too. I think the opening of Inglorious Bastards is pretty much straight out of a movie. I can't think of it at the time. Uh, the conversation at this time. That yeah, that whole opening conversation yeah. and the faraway shot where you know we see the vehicles driving up, driving up. And we the don't. Music, yeah, like, yeah, the music too is yeah. taken right from. I can't think of the movie right now, but um, it sounds like a spaghetti western. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, you could just one. say yeah. Um, any spaghetti western but but like i don't care that scene was amazing i don't don't care either that scene (laughs) and i put so much of this credit on christoph waltz but that scene in that movie is one of the best pieces of film i've ever seen that opening to inglorious bastards oh yeah like just unbelievable like if i had a top three favorite scenes scenes that would be in it i think yeah there's that moment where I know this is a different movie, but I just need to talk about this for a sec. There's <laughs> Go that, for it. that moment where he's been keeping up the game of like talking about not, what they're not really talking about the whole time. Mm-hmm. And then like literally there's like a 10 second shot of his face changing from like pleasant and genial to serious. And then he's like, you're harboring enemies of the state. Like, and oh. his face transition goosebumps. might be the best <laughs> act. I'm getting goosebumps right now. <laughs> His fa- his acting of his face in that scene in those ten seconds of not talking, are maybe the best acting I've ever seen. Like that's just yeah. it's unbelievable. Like it's everything so so, so about good. it, it comes together so well. Yeah. and the tension. Oh my god! Yeah. And that again, that's stolen from Hitchcock. Like yes. the the tension when you know there's a bomb in the room, but they don't. Like, right. That whole thing, or maybe one person does, but both don't. Um, I just watched Strangers on a Train over the weekend, and I was like, man, Tarantino loves Hitchcock. Yeah, like, he, yeah. <laughs> he clearly just loves these classic, legendary directors, and I don't fault him. Like, I don't either, and, and it's fair. You know, there are very fair criticisms out there, but they just don't resonate with me. I'm yeah, they don't resonate with me. With I, I feel like doing. you're not wrong. I just don't feel that way that yeah. you feel after agreeing that that's what he's doing. Right. I think honestly, I think he's given a he's shined a light on a lot of directors and made other people more famous through his own references. Like, yeah, I think you know, spaghetti westerns maybe have more of a cult following than they did even because of Tarantino, and he's used so many actors that would have faded into obscurity, but he like brought them back and 
and gave them like a second life in his movies and and you could argue that that's an art form in itself just yeah. this homage that he plays to all this great yeah it's almost like he's like things. a and this sounds condescending but it's almost like he's like a dumpster diver of yeah. hollywood <laughs> like he finds all these like maybe forgotten or like discarded things or people and then he like throws them all into these masterpieces and mm -hmm. it's like you know, the old one man's trash is another man's treasure yeah. thing. Um, these actors that many people consider washed up or just out of their careers, basically. And right. then he's just like, oh, well, I'm about to make them look amazing again, just real yeah. quick. And then keep using them or whatever. And I think that that's so beautiful a thing. And it is very meta. He's a super meta dude when it comes to filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, I think that's all there in this movie. And yeah. I think uh, it's just great. It's yeah. just like a great experience. Well, also too, I think anytime someone is super passionate and they love something and they want to show it to you, you like that thing that much more. Yeah, he's really good at doing that. Yeah. Some people, when they tell a story and they're super excited and then it, it's, it ends and it's like, well, you needed to be there. Yeah. But like <laughs> Tarantino never makes you feel like that. Right, exactly. Like, he always gives you the feeling of like, man, your passion is like fully displayed here and it's infectious and yeah, I just loved it. I think it's not my favorite Tarantino movie, but that's like in no way an insult. It's yeah. It's not my favorite either. It might be top three. I think it's top three for me. I yeah. will say I definitely went back and forth with that, but I think it earned a solid spot in my top three Tarantino films. Yeah. Um, was there anything else? In Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, in particular, that stood out to you or that you liked a lot. For I'm example, sure was. I really loved a lot of the driving scenes with Brad Pitt. Yeah. Like all of that, I just thought was great. Yeah, those were really good. Um, I loved our glimpses into his life because he was such a simple dude. Like, you know, he goes home to like his trailer, and despite the fact that he's surrounded by opulence for the majority of his life, He's so okay sleeping on like a couch in a trailer mm -hmm. with his dog. And like, you know, he just feeds him this slop basically. Yeah. And like, and it's just like, he's just such a simple dude who doesn't have like a dark side. He doesn't. You Other know, than the fact that he potentially he killed his wife. His wife <laughs> which as you saw in that scene was at least like, there's a reason that he did it. He wasn't just a psychotic dude. Like, I'm not saying any murder is justified. Yeah, not necessarily just saying, justifiable like, reason, but it wasn't. He didn't just snap one. There day are people or who like think I could just murder my wife for no reason, right. and then there are people who are like, something bad happens, <laughs> and in a crime of passion, they kill someone. Yeah, and like it, you know, he's more on that end than he is on like a calculating, and that that's what I mean in in his simplicity. He's yeah so simple, and we don't know if he killed his wife. It's a it's a rumor, but it's not right. known. And, um, you know, obviously if he killed his wife, that's like inexcusable <laughs> and he should be in jail and stuff. But if he didn't, and even if he did, I think like his personality is still so charming that, um, and I think that's often what fascinates people about killers is like, how can someone be so likable right. and also kill people? Right. But I do think also like with killers, for example, you're seeing one side of them and then there's a whole nother side underneath with Brad Pitt's character. I think we're seeing all of it. The whole thing. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing underneath to uncover. We see exactly who he is yeah. at all times. Yeah. And 
you know, he may have, if he did something unforgivable, we can judge him on that. But it's like, what we're seeing is a very charming person. Yeah, absolutely. And I love also his little glimpses of like incredible physicality. Mm -hmm. Like there's the scene when he's like fixing uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, dish on the top of his house. And you just like, for like, it's like a second and a half of him like parkouring up the house. Like, and it's like, what? (laughs) We get a glimpse of his- I guess he's just a badass. Like Stuntman. Yeah, and you know it because like he's a stuntman, but it's like- you see it there. You see him just like, yeah. and he's like up on top of the house, like effortlessly. I love that. He's love... so effortless, effortlessly cool. Oh my God. And he's so good looking. Like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm 100% hetero straight, like not a point of pride, just exactly true. And I still think he's like the most beautiful man on the planet. Like, yeah, he's a beautiful man and he can act. And he can act. He's so good. Like, you know, his uh, southern accent in *Glorious Bastards* is like maybe not perfect, but it's I think so exaggerated that so I exaggerated. think you can maybe forgive the imperfections. Yeah, I think in general, Brad Pitt is actually a very good actor. I think. Yeah. Like, I loved him in *Snatch*. Um, he was so funny in that. Uh, he's just yeah. I think he's just great. Again, like like Margot. Yeah. Uh, Robbie. Exactly. I always say her name wrong. Robbie. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Like Margot Robbie, like someone who you think maybe they're famous because they're just beautiful. Right. And then it's like, oh, no, they're like an incredible they're actor. They're actually talented, too. Yeah. So. Like Margot Ro- <laughs> Robbie's like Robbie is amazing. Like she's yeah. so she's one of the best young actors I feel like I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Worth mentioning, too. Leo was really great in this. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> we haven't I even discuss- talked about him like, that I, much. But I meant to say, you know, that scene when he's like doing the acting and we're there with him for that scene. Like, that's really good acting. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's classic DiCaprio, like, snapping off kind of, you know, high-energy, violent moment. And I think it was, like, he killed it. Like, it's yeah. so good. He always is so good. But, I know. Um, yeah, and this, he was great. Did you stay for the credits thing, uh, too, of him, like, smoking and selling cigarettes? And No, I didn't. Oh. I know, and I always stayed, too, and I didn't this time. That's such a bummer. <laughs> Have you heard about it? Yeah. He Yeah, he just, like, is trying to sell cigarettes, and then at the end of it, he's like, these are gross, like, <laughs> when the camera stops rolling. Um, yeah. That, again, is so charming. It's just, like, a guy doing his job. Um, it's it's just it's just great. It's just such a feel. It's so weird to say it's, like, the feel-good movie of the summer, but I, <laughs> I actually feel that way. Yeah, like it, it was very feel-good. Yeah. I mean, we saw some people get pretty brutally murdered. But yeah, there we was, also, like, horrific violence, but... But we were also... The lead-up to that made you want that. You want it, yeah. <laughs> By the time it happens, you're like, oh, that's what we're all looking they for. They deserve right? that. Yeah. And knowing what happened in real life, it's, again, a very cathartic retelling. Yeah. And I think there's also, like... We're not supposed to agree with everything. As much as, you know, I think we like the main characters, like... Um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character clearly has like an anti-hippie ethos that I think is like yeah. super conservative and not a healthy way to think. Sure. Um, Which I'm sure there were a lot of people in the times like, like that. Like that. Yeah. So I guess it was a good representation of that particular group. I think it was super accurate. Yeah. And I even think, um, you know, Brad Pitt's character didn't really like judge them for their hippiness, but, um, 
I think he judged them more on, like, directly how they interacted with him. Yeah. And it was kind of nice to see that point of view, too, because I think when you see, like, hippies, etc., um, in the media, we're looking at, like, through rose-colored glasses. Um, yeah. <laughs> we're looking at, like, kind of a glorified, like, hippie as, a like, a style choice. Like, oh, this was this cool thing back then. Right, yeah. But when it's actually in the time... Yeah. You know, there's lots of people that are like, what the heck? Is it's a grungier thing yeah. than, you're, than you're thinking. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that that was a surprisingly honest portrayal yeah. in a movie that is highly fantastical. Yes. Um, and obviously not all hippies are the same no, thing. No. But it was a good example of like how we don't often see hippies, but they, they are. There are those that yeah. are like that and still are probably. But yeah, it was um, just a very unique movie about... You know, it already had that Tarantino flair, which is like, we've seen it before, but we've seen very few movies, I think, about Hollywood in its in its golden era from such a stylistic perspective. It's like this really cool hybrid of things that we haven't quite seen before. And Yeah, and if you're a fan of film or old Hollywood at all, you well, if you're a fan of film, you might have some kind of affection for old Hollywood. I know I do, so... Oh, you yeah, know, that too. was reason enough for me to kind of go be on this journey throughout yeah. <laughs> in 1969. But I also want to say um, I loved Al Pacino. Oh, uh, yeah. I almost forgot about him. Yeah. <laughs> he was actually acting a little different, I think, than he usually does. He it was. was. a little, little different from the normal Pacino thing. I always loved Al Pacino. Yeah. But, like, I really loved uh, this character. Um, very believable as, like, that kind of guy for sure. Um, and I think the movie was just full of like little things like that, that are just really, really nice. Just really nice. Yeah. It was fun. (laughs) Such a fun, wholesome (laughs) film. About murder. (laughs) About murder. Yeah. And, and opulence, you know, I mean like that, that is a weird world, the the Hollywood world. And I think Tarantino did a good job of like humanizing people that otherwise maybe feel larger than life right you know like at the end of the at the end of the movie we get Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt like going to some restaurant like it's not like a ritzy crazy it's just a restaurant like with Mexican food or something and I know it's interesting how he humanizes it and also kind of glorifies it all in the same yeah, yeah exactly um and I think in that regard there's a lot of honesty to it while there's also a lot of um, fantastical aggrandizement. And it's like, it's just part of his stylistic thing as a, as a director, I think, is doing both at the same time. Um, you know, ho- old Hollywood movies love to like gloss over the more violent aspects of violent killing, you know, war. Yeah. Old war movies didn't have blood in them and stuff right. like that. And Tarantino is like hyper violent. Like, yeah. And that hyper violence is very much a modern thing. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't like a thing in old movies. Right. Um, and that, you know, could show another thing of him like drawing on, I don't know, uh, maybe like Dario Argento mm-hmm. or like I those think, old slasher yeah. hyper bright bloody yeah and i think we did have like some little peaks at like an homage to some of those italian directors too yeah um he well i mean he even specifically mentions italian cinema in the film yeah like it's it's actually (laughs) 
kind of a fulcrum point I yeah would say, yeah for the plot is is the italian movement of of cinema um you know it, it influenced so many things and i think while it was more talking about like spaghetti western thing i think tarantino is highly influenced by the giallo movement mm-hmm. too so it's like you're seeing a lot again it's like a meta moment like tarantino talking about something in the movie that he loves in real life mm-hmm. and old hollywood itself you know draws on all those inspirations so it makes sense yeah. it's still very cohesive idea yeah i think the movie flowed perfectly well like yeah. despite being nonlinear, i think there's never a point where you feel disoriented or anything yeah. like that there may be a point where you're thinking what's the point or where is this going sure yep. if you don't if you're not kind of prepared for the type of storytelling that it is but you know, other than that, I think it knows what it's doing and it does it pretty well. Yeah. As long as you've seen like a non-blockbuster movie yeah. in your life, yeah. <laughs> you'll probably, or like a non-rom-com or something, you'll probably have some grasp of like, this movie does have purpose despite the fact yeah. that it feels like it doesn't sometimes or despite the fact that it's not obvious or whatever. Right. Exactly. So yeah, we both really liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yep. It's in your top three, too, for Tarantino? Yeah, I would say so. It's it's sort of a moving target, but yeah. I would say... Yeah, yeah, Um Glorious Bastards is number one. Honestly, I put Death Proof, like, in my top what? three. What? Yeah. Which, That's unusual. Super rare. <laughs> I loved Death Proof. I think that, like, that was one of Kurt Russell's uh, best movie characters. Mm. Um, just loved it. Um, I liked Death Proof. I didn't hate it or anything. I know it gets a lot of flack. People think Planet Terror is better, like, almost 90% of the time. And I... I, I actually really disagree. I hard <laughs> disagree with that. Like, dis- Planet Terror was fine, but gr- I think Death Proof was, like, a good, a really good movie. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, it was a great horror movie as a tribute to, like, a certain era of slasher yeah. movies and stuff. Um there's just some great it is long like i think it feels long for what it's doing but when it's on i feel like it it's just so good um i don't know yeah and you know sometimes that drops out and yeah django floats in there and right (laughs) um he just i think he's a consistently great director and i really don't think he's yeah. made a bad movie and this was his ninth film and i think he's been quoted as saying he's going to do 10 films Interesting. he's i guess kind of old i mean yeah i guess so but i wouldn't be surprised if he kind of went back on that because i'm sure he has a lot more in him one you know? would think he has more ideas yeah he wouldn't just stop yeah so it'll be interesting to see where his career goes next i hope we don't have to wait another i don't know like 10 years or whatever for his next one but i hope it's not 10 years but i do kind of hope it's <laughs> spaced out a few yeah yeah i mean like this had me ready for more but like i really do like the pace at which he's been releasing movies i think it's like a healthy way to i agree take in tarantino um and i'm glad more people don't do the tarantino thing like yeah i think that i would it would be very tired at this point if they were like everyone was like oh that was really good i'm gonna do that too yeah i completely agree be too much (laughs) okay guys well thanks for listening to us talk a lot again about once upon a time in hollywood um go check this movie out if you haven't seen it yet absolutely 
Also, feel free to email us if you have any questions or suggestions or anything like that at weirdflicksbutokpodcast at gmail.com.